three, two, one. Welcome to Kentucky Caliber. I'm Jason Belcher, small business owner, military veteran. This week, we're pleased to have our first guest. He's on the phone with us right now. And in just a moment, I'll give him a chance to introduce himself. So again, we're talking about drug addiction. And uh, I, I thought maybe you'd want to take just a moment and tell folks you know, who you are and, and how you're involved with that topic. Sure. So I'm Jonathan Gay, and I'm deputy counsel for a company called Addiction Recovery Care, LLC. And it's based out of Louisa, Kentucky. We've got both residential and outpatient treatment facilities across Kentucky. And we treat people with substance use disorder. We treat people who are in active addiction. Um, we have over a thousand beds and most of those beds, the overwhelming majority of those beds are, are always filled. So we're housing around a thousand people uh, at any given moment every day of the year. And we've got about another 600 clients uh, on an outpatient basis. So we, we like to think that we're Kentucky's experts when it comes to addiction. We certainly have, uh, have seen it all, and we're certainly one of the largest, if not the largest, organizations in the entire Commonwealth when it comes to treating addiction. So I'm deputy counsel, and I also practice criminal law and in addition to my work with art. And so I've seen addiction firsthand, uh, or maybe once removed, but I've seen it for many years and I've seen it firsthand what it does to people. And it's, it's a very important topic. And I know it's a timely public policy issue. Yeah. You know, in the last year, obviously the uh, pandemic's taken center stage in terms of healthcare, but underneath the surface of that has been the, uh, a growing drug addiction problem. And I, I just wondered, my first question was, I just wondered if, if you think, or if you've seen any evidence that the, you know, the pandemic has, has either intensified or if it had any impact at all on the, on the drug addiction problem. I definitely think that it's, it's intensified things. I think that removing, uh, you know, it, it was pretty obvious that we needed to do some social distancing, but that social distancing came at a cost for many of those in, in recovery and trying to get to recovery. They weren't able to go to their groups. They weren't able to have their regular interactions. We tried to pick up some of the slack on that. We tried to create some app-based programs, and we do some virtual telehealth. But I think that personal one-on-one -on -one contact was missing, and I think that was a factor. I also think a factor that's that's really not been talked about a lot was a lot of the stimulus payments that went out. They went out to a lot of folks that were um, struggling with addiction, and many of them have have used those funds in in not necessarily the wisest form, and so that's contributed to the overdose crisis. I think, though, the biggest issue is just the fentanyl crisis. You know, what, what we had is we had an opiate crisis for many years. We've had it. Previously, you were able to get these opiates from physicians or illicitly once removed from physicians. What's happened is we've, we've done a, a good job cracking down on physicians over prescribing opiates. The challenge now is fentanyl is filling that void. And so fentanyl, which is made in illicit labs in China and other places in, the, in Asia, shipped to Mexico or shipped directly to the United States. 
and it's just flooding our streets and, and law enforcement can't seem to stop it. And so literally everyone who is doing opiates is probably interacting with fentanyl at one point or another if they're doing opiates illegally. And so they're interacting with fentanyl and it's literally Russian roulette. You just never know when you're going to get a batch, uh, when you're going to get a dose that contains too much fentanyl and it'll send you into cardiac arrest and kill you. Now, my understanding is fentanyl is much more powerful, so even a small dose of that, and even a first-time small dose of that can be lethal. Is that correct? That, that's correct. And I don't totally understand all the chemistry because I know that individuals are using successfully fentanyl. That's the, that's the scary thing is pe- people are using it every single day. They're using it in Pike County, Kentucky, where you're from. They're using it in Fleming County, where I'm from. And... It's being abused successfully. The danger is it's like Russian roulette. You get too much in too many quantities, and it will kill you. And I guess as a, from a legal perspective, I always wondered, is, there, is it actually a crime if you use someone else's prescription drugs? Like if, if they give it to you or you buy it, I mean, is that actually a crime? It would be, it would be if, if you illegally possess it. Now, most of the time, we don't. We don't see people being charged for use, but we see people being charged with possession. So it's that that's how Kentucky enforces it. So someone who's in possession of someone else's oxycodone, uh, hydrocodone, et cetera, could certainly be charged with a uh, with a felony crime in Kentucky. Now, they Kentucky has taken a, a big step back from criminalizing the mere possession of that. But what you see a lot of times is folks who are being prosecuted for the possession of it um, are, are, are often being prosecuted for trafficking. So they'll have a quantity, they'll have scales, they'll have cash, and so they'll be charged in many certain courts. But I, you also see a lot of possession charges, though, and, and they're, they're charging people every day for merely possessing. But you don't see... You don't see too many people being charged with merely possessing someone else's pills. And I think that's because we have cracked down so heavily on the, uh, the legal and the, the diversion, the legal you know, prescribing of pills and the diversion of pills. We, we've really cracked down on that. And so it's, it's fentanyl. It's, it's illicit heroin that you're seeing. And what's astonished me about that is when you when you read news stories about licensed physicians over prescribing those kind of drugs, it's it's just amazing to me that anyone who has taken the oath, you know, the Hippocratic oath uh, to become a medical doctor would do something like that. And yet, you know, the stories are not just one or two. I mean, there there's been several, uh, just in our region alone, where that has happened. Yes, it's it's horrible, and and I think a, a lot of it has to do with a, you know I, I'm sure there are a lot of good physicians that that still have overprescribed over the years, and it's because they've got patients coming to them complaining every single day. Uh, that that's what's I, I don't think people truly understand the the enormity of the demand for these substances that's that's the challenge that we're dealing with jason is that there's such an overwhelming demand and and i wish we could stamp it out but we just have not been able to stop that you know people just seem to want to medicate and whether it's a methamphetamine or opiates they, they seem to be hell-bent on doing that no matter what the cost of their bodies and so we in the addiction treatment world are dealing with these folks, and they run the gamut. They're, they're, they're people who, are, who were born 
very poor and with with a lot of disadvantages but then there are also people who are attorneys and and physicians and the sons and daughters of physicians who grew up very successfully who are struggling with this disease and and i think that that's a over overlooked piece of this is that just there seems to be this cultural tendency towards self-medicating in america and in the addiction world we're trying to treat them and get them back to the point where they can be successful in society. You know, that's one of the most amazing statistics I ever came across in just doing some research on this issue, and that is that of the, of the people who have what's considered, medically considered to be an addiction problem, the number who actually get treatment is just astonishingly low. I've seen some data that suggests it's as low as 10%. So can you imagine any other problem out there in the healthcare world where 90% of the people that are afflicted don't get treatment? That, that just amazes me. No, and that's 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 a terrific point. We stigmatize addiction. We we treat it in, in in such a way that someone who's in active addiction is looked down on in society, and so they they tend to hide their addiction. Uh, their family may know about it, but their families tend to hide their addiction. They don't ask them to get treatment. It, it's also a very difficult problem. It's even if you have a family that's very open about their loved one's addiction. It can be uh, very difficult to get that family member the treatment that, that you know they need, but that the family member will resist. So it's, it's, it's a tough problem, and I think that's why we don't see enough people being treated for it. Yeah, on a related statistic, I also saw that of those who, who need treatment, if a family member intervenes and, and helps them or suggests them that they get treatment, they're twice as likely to actually seek help. So clearly, you know, the involvement of those closest to them can and does have an impact on their decision to get treatment. Absolutely, it does. And, and I think that's what I would say for family members is it's not always easy, but you play a critical role. And so if you're out there and you feel like your your loved one has a, has a problem, and if you feel like they have a problem, then in all likelihood they have a problem, then talk to someone and try to get them help. But just be prepared that it's not always a straight path. That person who's in addiction may be resistant, in all likelihood will be resistant to getting the help they need. And you know, a lot of people don't realize when we're talking about the medical term addiction, we're talking about a compulsion to do something that you may not even want to do anymore. We were talking about, in terms of opiates, some of the substances are chemically similar to synthetic heroin. It's some of the most addictive substances ever created in in a laboratory. So once you get hooked on that, it makes your brain think you have to have it. And it just kind of takes over, and and, and people will be trying to get it even though they want to quit. They're physically unable to. That's absolutely right. And I think that kind of brings up the need for expertise. You know, this... This is this is a very complicated disease, as, as we've hit at a couple of times already. And if if you've got a family that needs help, I would say you, you need to get an expert to help you walk this person in, much like you would if you've got a family member who's you know has a heart problem or high blood pressure or something of that nature. You've got to get the right kind of medical help, the right kind of social and mental health help. And that's where reach, and, and there are a lot of great organizations. I'm not, not making a, a plug for my company per se here. I'm making a plug for the addiction treatment world. If you've got a family member that's in that, you, number one, try to get them help. But number two, work with the experts 
to try to bring that family member in because it's a very complicated compulsive disorder. And I know several years several years ago, I, I attended uh, Leadership East Kentucky, and now this is back in I guess 2012 or 2013. But it was a class of about 30 of us, and, and one of the instructors asked us, "Who here has experienced or, or had a family member or friend who's been affected by by drug addiction?" And and every single hand in the room went up. And you know, this group was was from across Eastern Kentucky, from many different counties. And that's just one anecdotal piece of evidence. I mean, the data supports that it's a widespread problem, and there's probably not a single county in eastern Kentucky, maybe not the state, that hasn't been impacted by it to some extent. No, I, I would, would dare say that each and every community has has been ravaged by it in, in Kentucky to one extent or another. I know it's very prevalent in, in where I'm living now in Fleming County, uh, in Mason County, just just up the road, uh, but of course we all know that the, the challenges that Eastern Kentucky's faced. It's it's an epidemic everywhere in Kentucky, and it's it's killing thousands and thousands of people every year. So we know there's a need for more treatment, and recently there was a ruling or a settlement that was made that's going to affect Kentucky. I understand there's going to be a pretty significant amount of money coming this state's way as a result of that ruling. Do you do you have any information on that? I don't know any firsthand. I don't have any firsthand information, but I know it's good news. I think that that anytime you take monies away from those those folks that contributed to the addiction crisis and give it back to the communities, that's a positive thing. I just hope it's spent wisely on treatment because that's what's needed. Is you know we're, we have an addiction crisis, and the only way that we're going to ultimately work ourselves out from it is treatment. We have to get these folks the help they need to get them back sober and then to get them on the path that will that will continue their sobriety because it's it's not simply about sending them to, to rehab for 30 or 60 or 90 days. It's about a lifelong uh, change. It's, it's, it's about changing their entire way of living. So, you know, treatment, that's what treatment entails, and I hope that that's where we're going to spend it. And I, I think that's an important. I think that's an important point because a lot of people see this as a law enforcement problem. But I don't think we can arrest our way out of the addiction crisis that we're in, and, and that's why it's important. I think for organizations like yours to to really share the success stories that they've had because it proves that treatment is more effective and that treatment works. And I think when people see that, it can change public opinion away from let's primarily treat this as a law enforcement issue where we need to make more arrests to a, a situation where no, what we need is to increase our treatment options and to get more people who need the help into treatment programs so that they can you know, get on with their lives. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and the, the, simply the law enforcement route alone will not solve this problem. You know, we, we work with law enforcement. We have good relationships with law enforcement and our judicial system, but we have to get these individuals treatment. And they're not going to get treatment, in my opinion, in correctional facilities you know that that's not necessarily the place where they need this treatment they need this treatment where they're in a good environment where they're where they're learning positive positive decision making and that's that's critical we have a tagline at addiction recovery here called crisis to career and we literally take individuals from a jail cell from uh, an overdose unit and bring them into our center and begin treating them and get them to the point where they can take their place in our company and begin a career with us. And so we, we've done that with, with 
probably hundreds of individuals at this point. Uh, the, the last statistics I saw, we were we were around 600 employees. Nearly half of our employees were in recovery, and a third of our employees, so we're talking around 200 at the time, had actually come through our program. And these these are folks who had a wide range of life experiences. Some of them had education. The chief of staff of our company, the number two person in the company, actually came through our program. Was a physical therapist, still licensed physical therapist, who was on the who's who will tell you he was on the verge of. of of totally crashing his life and, and was, was barely functioning. And his family finally said, we love you. We want you to get help, but this is it. And he went to treatment with us in Fleming County at a facility called Belgrove Springs, recovered, went to work for us, kind of separated himself from his previous professional world and worked his way up the ranks. And now he's the number two individual in the company. We bring in folks like that on a daily basis who have the opportunity to come to work for us. Now, I mentioned Matt, Matt Brown, the, the chief of staff, but we also have individuals who came through without the kind of educational backgrounds, Matt, um, who are successfully working for us in managerial capacities who are helping us do, uh, do great things with other individuals in recovery. So, it, you have to find someone that meaningful life outside of addiction because that's the difficulty. They spent many years running from law enforcement, running from family, doing things that they knew they weren't supposed to, manipulating in order to continually feed that addiction. Now you have to create a new life for them. And I will tell you, these folks, when you see someone that's in recovery, that's working the, their their sobriety, it's it's amazing to see them. I just saw a post earlier so on, on face, Facebook. Someone had posted, for the first time in my life, and this gentleman was, was at least in his 30s, for the first time in my life, I got to take my family to the beach. And I get, I get emotional just thinking about it. I got to take my family on a vacation. That's what it's all about. It's about reintroducing people to the, the right way to live. Uh, so anyway, I got on my soapbox, but that's that's critical. No, and that's okay because it, that's, a, that's a critical point because I think the public perception, there's a lot of folks who think, when you think of someone who's a drug addict, I think the public perception is, or the, uh, the the conventional wisdom says, well, well, that's someone who's probably just they're just done for. You know, their their life is over, and and they're just going to end up, you know, dead or, or just in a, a, a ditch somewhere, and then that's just the way it's going to be. But but that's not true, um, because they they think that because they don't know that treatment works and that treatment can be effective, and that getting people started on the treatment path can change that trajectory. So I think it's critical for, for organizations like yours to keep uh, voicing that and voicing those results so we can change public opinion and get more support uh, for treatment so we can keep expanding it. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that we've been blessed with in Kentucky, I know you, you talk a lot about public policy, Jason, and, and uh, I've always, you know, you and I have disagreed public policy in the past but i've always appreciated the fact that you approach it from from the standpoint of you know it's about ideas it's about you know you, you can verify you cannot verify ideas you can you know empirical evidence matters one of the things that we've been blessed with in kentucky though is that we've had bipartisan support for addiction treatment for quite a quite a few years governor fletcher was really a champion of addiction treatment that's what he does now 
for for most of his time, I believe he he heads up the, the program that kind of oversees the Recovery Kentucky Centers. They're a terrific component for recovery. Uh, governor Bashir, the first Governor Bashir, really set the addiction treatment world uh, in a good place in Kentucky with the Medicaid expansion. Governor Bevan was a strong supporter of addiction treatment, and now Governor Bashir is a very strong supporter of addiction treatment. All of them approach it a little differently, and I think that that's okay. Uh, you know, one of the things about addiction treatment is, uh, you know, conservatives tend to like that. You know, we're, we're, we're taking people, we're getting them back to work, we're getting them uh, the job trainings they need. They approach it maybe from an economic development standpoint. Uh, Governor Bevan approached it from from sort of an evangelical second second chance standpoint. Governor Bashir has approached it, I think, maybe a little more from from a social justice uh, viewpoint. I sent you a, a tweet earlier that the that the governor's folks uh, shared a few weeks ago when they were at one of our centers, and I think that's all great. I think that addiction addiction treatment should be a, an issue that we can come together as a country on, and, and one of the things that I'm grateful for is Kentucky's done that. Yeah, I've got that clip here if you'd like me to play it so folks can hear. It's about a minute and 30 seconds long if you want to hear the whole thing, uh, but I can play that if, you, if you'd like for folks to get a chance to listen to that who may not have heard it before. That'd be great. I, I think that would be good for folks who maybe don't necessarily see it as a public policy issue. And I'm not sure if you'll be able to hear it very well or not, but I'm going to play it right now, so hang on just a second and I'll get it started. Sure. What a special day to be with so many of you working on your second chance and a campus that's living out its second chance. To be with so many that are committed to being better and doing better. My faith teaches me that the lost, the lonely, the left behind are those that we are meant to serve. And it's not charity, it's our faithful duty to do it. And when we think about that call to love our neighbor as ourselves, who's our neighbor? It's everyone. It's not delineated by political parties, and nobody is left out. I gotta thank Tim Robinson, John Wilson, and the whole group at ARC and at this facility. You know, we had a dream years maybe decades ago, and it was that anybody who needed help, who was ready for help, could get help and get help that day. That, that we would have the beds, the space, oh my goodness, the campus, to provide people with a real opportunity. And what they are doing here, what you're doing with the Crown Recovery Center is making that a reality. To each and every person that is suffering from addiction in recovery, we're so proud of you. We are so proud of you. The fact that you're willing to step up and fight such a hard fight is a special thing, and this entire Commonwealth is proud of you. God bless. Thank you all very much. Okay, so that was Governor Bashir there. Uh, I'm not 100% sure which group he was speaking to there. Do you know who that was? I'll have to look it up. Yes, that was Crown Recovery Center. The governor came down for the opening of Crown Recovery Center, which is Addiction Recovery Cares program in Springfield, Kentucky. Oh, okay. St. Saint, Saint Catherine is a small um, college, uh, was a small Catholic college located in Springfield. And on one side of the campus, there was a nunnery, and on the other side of the campus, there was a, the, the small college. The nunnery is still there. 
and they're they're terrific neighbors of ours and we occupied the what was previously a college and we believe that that center is going to be the largest treatment program in america certainly the largest in kentucky um and 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 i say we believe it what we do at addiction recovery care is a little different than a lot of other treatment programs a lot of other treatment programs have kind of a combination of medical detox and homeless shelters we strictly do treatment we let someone else do the medical detox uh we let someone else do the homeless shelters those are those are a terrific piece of this um, but we try to focus simply on the treatment, and, and we believe that we're the largest treatment provider probably in America with that center. That center is ultimately going to hold about 500 uh, to 700 individuals who are going through various stages of their of their treatment. And for folks who, who, who may not know, like for someone who gets, once you get on the, the, uh, the treatment path, is there a is there an is there an average time frame for how long that takes for it to start working, or is it every case is different? Uh, you know, I would say that I'm sure there are some averages. Uh, my experience has been every case is different. A lot of it depends on the structure that the person has at home. You know, you can. So what we have is we have a variety of phases. We have uh, phase one, two, three, and four. So phase one, someone comes in that's usually thirty days. They're just getting sober. They're just getting grounded and getting their head out of the clouds. Uh, phase two, we start, and that's another 30 to 45 days, we start introducing some so- sober living skills and, and some long-term sobriety skills. But that's where persons beginning to think about long-term survival without drugs. You know, what do I do when I go home? The first 30 days, it's, it's more, you know, I, oh, wow, my how do I clean my body out? How do I get healthy again? Um, so phase three, we start really focusing on life skills and living at home because, the, you know, someone said to me once uh, not too long ago, the hardest thing that someone in long-term recovery will ever have to do in life is just stay sober. So all else emanates from their, their sobriety, and, and it's a struggle. You know, so you have to teach them how to maintain that sobriety. So that's what phase three is about. And then phase four is where we start teaching people how to live, how to have a different career. And so we bring those folks in and we'll keep them as long as a year and start training them to take their place in the world, take, take their place in, in addiction recovery here. And so I would say that much of it depends on where a person is from in life what kind of background they have. You know, if, if you simply take someone 30, 60, or even 90 days and you reintroduce them to the same area with the same career prospects and the same family, then they are going to relapse in all likelihood. And so we have to find a way to get these folks to a new life. And I think that's where we in rural Kentucky really struggle because you take someone who's from Leslie County, where I'm from, or Perry County, or wherever, and they they come in and they get clean and sober. Well, then they go back to the same housing projects, or they go back to the same holler because that's where they that's where they had the ability to live. They don't have transportation to groups. They don't have the ability to necessarily um, get a very meaningful job prospect. And so, six months 
12 months down the road, someone comes along and says, hey, you know, you want to try this? Do you want to do this? They're, they're stressed. They're, maybe they've had a bad week. It's very easy to go back into uh, into relapse. And then once you start down that road, it's it's a dark tunnel. And so I think that's where we, we've got to, number one, put these folks into meaningful treatment programs. Number two, maintain their accountability and try to get them into a different way of living, try to get them maybe into a, a different area where they can have that long-term sober support that they need. And I would, and I would think, excuse me, I would think that, um, you know, for communities, it's important to, to make sure we welcome folks who, who have successfully completed treatment or are still in treatment and, and recognize that their, their achievement of, of breaking the addiction and make sure that they know that they're, they're welcome in their communities and that we, that the, we got rid of that stigma that you referred to earlier. And I'm glad you brought up the, just for a, a brief moment, the, the politics of it. I'm, I'm happy that there's bipartisan support on this. Um, you know, this is something that, that it's, it should be a no brainer. There, there's really no, there really shouldn't be much politics to this. And that's why I think folks who are a conservative like yourself and a progressive Democrat like me, we don't have any disagreements on this issue. We, we want to see people get better. We want to see people get the treatment they need and complete that treatment so they can return to the communities and, and, and not just be productive members, but so they can live a happy life. And you, you know, you hate to see people's lives ruined and that's what drugs do. They just, they ruin their life. It takes over. And, and all of a sudden a person that was, that was happy and productive is now, you know, struggling just to, just to survive and to get that next fix. So I, I hope that communities out there, people listening, a, if you have a friend or family member who needs the help, that you know that it's out there, treatment does work, and that you, uh, your intervention does matter. And, and important point, like you said, let an expert get an expert to handle this. You wouldn't try to uh, treat someone for a disease without a medical doctorate, so you, you go to the doctor for that. So get get the appropriate expert to help you get them the treatment they need for drug addiction. And let's make sure as communities that we welcome those folks back in and, and congratulate them on their accomplishment of, of breaking and defeating addiction. Absolutely. One of the things that I've noticed over the years is uh, in, in our world, uh, churches have really stepped up and, and done that very well. They, uh, in, in Fleming County, our church uh, particularly has, has welcomed a lot of, of classes over the years. People would come from either our male facility in Fleming County or our female facility over in Bath County, and they would come to church with us every morning and, and every Sunday morning, and, and they were just delighted to be there, and they, they were delighted to, to be in a receptive environment because so often they lived lives where people were, were afraid of them, where people shunned them, and so to just come in and, and have everyone smiling them and welcoming them and thanking them for being there, that was such a big piece of their recovery. And so what we saw is after that, a lot of them began to take their place in churches and, and to be part of the band and be, you know, even begin ministering and, and founded their own ministries and you know whether that's to simply uh preach and evangelize which you see occasionally but not that much more often we see people act actually out providing service services and so creating homeless ministries and and creating organizations where you actually go out and help those that are in active addiction and, and i think it all starts from accepting them back into the community and giving them love and, and acceptance and support and also i think there's an economic dimension to this too 
Um, a lot of folks have talked about the the, the uh, open jobs and the lack of folks getting hired or applying for them. And I, I know here in Eastern Kentucky, one of the reasons, there's probably a lot of reasons for that, but one of the reasons is is that uh, folks are afraid they're going to get, they're going to fail the drug test or they'll, they'll pop positive when they, when they do a urinalysis. And so a lot of folks won't even apply for jobs that they otherwise would want. Uh, but they're afraid of, of failing the drug test. So the drug test and drug addiction can be a barrier uh, to employment, even for folks who, who may be using that are still you know, functional uh, in their daily life. Uh, they, they can't get hired or can't get a job because they can't pass that drug screen. Yeah, that's absolutely right. One, of the, one company that's been very progressive on this and a leader in this is App Harvest. They, they've worked with us from the get-go. They've incorporated second-chance employment into their uh, ethos and they're they're doing great things so that's a company that that bears looking at and and they're doing it in moria kentucky where obviously you've got a workforce that that's been affected by the opiate crisis pretty substantially yeah it's it's, it seems like it's just it's so ironic i mean at one point in time there was a, a lack of jobs and now we seem to have an abundance of jobs, but but a lack of applicants. So I guess it's almost like a catch twenty two there for folks that are that that have been through both. You wonder, you know, which one is worse? Uh, I'm not really sure, but I hope that uh, folks will see the value of treatment and realize that once they get through that, and once you're clean, then you won't have to worry about uh, failing that drug test anymore because you'll you'll pass it. You'll you'll be clean, and and that will be just a formality when you. I guess a lot of us we take that for granted. I guess. Whenever we've applied for jobs in the past, that that's always just a formality for those of us who are fortunate enough to have never, never had, uh, never been addicted or never used drugs. Um, and, you know, the military, we're, we're both veterans. You served in the Army. I'm an Air Force veteran. You know, we had the, the random urinalysis tests all the time. You just get, get a call and you have to show up and give a sample. And so I can only imagine if folks that, that were using how, how terrifying that would be. But for those of us who weren't, it's just kind of a, of a formality and a nuisance that we never really think about. Yeah, that's true. Well, um, I don't know how much more time you've got. Um, I appreciate your, your, your comments. It's some great information, wonderful work you're doing. I hope folks that have listened uh, will, will consider uh, all the organizations that are out there providing treatment, but, it's, but yours too that's, that's doing that great work here in Eastern Kentucky, and I know there's a lot of work uh, remaining to be done. Uh, any other thoughts or something that you, you wanted to talk about that hasn't come up yet? No, I would just say this. I would just say to echo the, the point that we've made a couple times already is, you know, if you've got a family member that's struggling or a friend, reach out and get help. You, you can certainly reach out to me. Uh, we're on the web at arccenters.com. That's A-R-C-C-N-T-E-R-S.com. We are addiction recovery care. Uh, I have practiced law now for going on 20 years, and most of that time, to the extent that I was actively practicing, has been in criminal law. So I've, I've seen addiction and the way it impacts people, and, and I'm certainly willing to help any family. My mobile number is 859-797-5759, and I can also be reached through the company. So if you ever would like to talk to somebody, there are ways to get your family member help. There are treatment centers. The courts are increasingly becoming more progressive about this. Um, I'm not saying that they're as, as, as caught up as maybe they should be, but they're they're getting better. Uh, Casey's Law is, a, is another way to get family members treatment. So I would just encourage you, if you're struggling with this from the standpoint of being a parent or being a loved one, please reach out to us and, and see if there's something that we or another treatment provider can do to help. 
Okay, that's great. You're doing great work. It's really appreciated. Um, I guess we're about out of time there. So stay safe on your drive tomorrow, and I hope you get home safe. Thank you, Jason. Good luck with your podcast. Okay, hey, and, th the opportunity. and thanks for being a guest. We really appreciate your time. Hey, thank you. Have okay. a good one. Thanks, you too. Bye. It's great to know that there are folks as dedicated and talented as Jonathan out there every day on the front lines using their abilities and their talent and their hard work to help individuals and communities fight back against this scourge of drug addiction, which has hurt not only people in eastern Kentucky, but across the country. And I know a lot of folks out there, especially those who have served overseas, know that we spent a lot of time and fought a lot of battles abroad. But I think it's time and it's, I think it's time for us to focus more on the struggles here at home. And I hope that that's where we'll start uh, putting a lot more of our time and effort to helping people right here overcome the struggles that they face every day. Well, that's all the time we have this week for Kentucky Caliber. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Yeah.